Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. I forgot, actually, if people have anyone they want to include in the meta. We were going to include um, the people um, in the Oakland Fire tonight. And uh, here's a couple of more. But if you have some... Oh, this is it. Here they are, right here. And one other person. Um, Yeah, so if you want to include anyone in, in Metta, you can write on a card and give it to me. Um, so I'd like to um, continue the topic from last time when I started talking about equanimity. Um, and um, yeah, if you're free on Sunday, I do. Uh, would love to share the day with you. Um, it's a powerful, it's a really powerful practice. Uh, and tonight I wanted to talk a bit about uh, the power of equanimity. First, to, to check in, uh, how are we doing with our equanimity practice these days? <clears throat> mm. If you've been e- experimenting with it, uh, whether or not because you've been here. Um, I'm curious if you have consciously been trying to bring about some equanimity to what you might be going through these days. Just a show of hands. Oh, good. Yeah, it's kind of up for a lot of people. Um, before I say anything, I'm curious, uh, anything you want to say about finding balance, what you're seeing works or the the challenges in it. We can maybe just have first a little uh, conversation and then I'll say some words. Anybody has some some things to share? Uh, Right next to you, Jim, and then somebody in the back. Um, Sometimes equanimity, you you sit and sort of everything's get equanimous. And sometimes it takes a lot of maintenance and effort. And lately it's been maybe more maintenance and effort to go, oh yeah, <sighs> just let it go. And, and how, tell me a bit about your maintenance practice. How do you, uh, how do you cultivate it or uh, evoke it? Um, I mean, t- take a breath, let it go. Sometimes it's uh, in terms of, well, equanimity, if you want to be the fourth of the immeasurables, I guess. I'm not sure I'm doing that so much, but uh, thinking of loving kindness for the folks that are, for events that are causing difficulty, uh, thinking of forgiveness for myself. Mm. Um, Kate talked about forgiveness last week. I do, you know, Jack's version of of forgiveness practice of, Mm -hmm. you know, I've caused... um, Especially with you know, some of the, I've, I've uh, <laughs> said things that after the fact realize that I've stepped on people's toes or 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 caused people 
distress mm-hmm. over political positions. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, you know, I just, without even noticing, um, and, you know, you know, I'm sorry for having caused this pain. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, So that, that's, that's bringing about equanimity by balancing out maybe some feelings of regret or... Um, figuring out what are the things that are unbalancing me mm-hmm. and sort of trying mm-hmm. to say, oh, I'm, I'm mm-hmm. leaning too far or pushing too hard or mm-hmm. hanging on too hard, mm-hmm. letting go, accepting. Okay, so um, that's one way to find a balance, just what, what is needed to bring, bring my heart into balance. Okay, thank you. Yeah. And uh, here's uh, a couple of people. Pam, and we'll get to you behind you. Yeah. Uh, for me, it was getting to a place of interconnectedness instead of how we are divided on pretty obvious issues. Just going to the point of where are we one mm. and just stay there for as long as it takes. Mm. Excellent. That's uh, good practice. She's uh, been practicing a long time. I'm... I know Pam for 30 plus years and uh, it's just it, to see the interconnectedness and there's not that much separation so removes the blame a little bit. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yes. Well, the, my little refuge is um, to not suffer in the moment by predicting the future. So, and turn it, twi- t- tilt Sorry. it, that's it, yeah. That's okay. it. No, like an ice cream cone. There you go. Okay, yeah. sorry. Say again. Not suffering in the moment by predicting the future. Mm, excellent. Okay. And well, I just find that you know, there's a lot of opportunities to exercise that these days. Uh-huh. And uh, I just find that, it, that, that that just brings me back to the moment, to be mm. present. And uh, that has really helped tremendously. And so, And then what I try to do is tell that to other people, too, because, mm-hmm. you know, I can just see it, you know, just rising in people as we start talking about what's happening and the politics of it and mm-hmm. the hate and everything comes up, the anger, all of it. Mm-hmm. So not getting into the stories that the mind might create about what could be and just coming back to here. That's here right. is kind of doable, workable. Yeah, uh, well, and usually nothing's happening, right, in the moment. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the None present. Of those things. The present isn't isn't a bad place to hang out in. It, it, it's the future that gets a little difficult when we're right. when we're kind of, uh, especially when we're creating scary stories. Uh, we have a way of frightening ourselves, and fear is. You know, if you look at it, fear is always about the future. Right now might be difficult, might be challenging, might be dicey, but when we project into what if, if the mind is contracted at all, it's going to spin a scary story and frighten ourselves. So uh, this is where there's refuge in the present and we can find a balance in the present. Yeah, great, thank you. Any, anything else? Yes. And oh, tell me, what's your name? What's your name? Tom, yes. Okay, Ricardo, we'll get to you. When I, I'm <clears throat> trying to practice a lot of equanimity recently, but 
I I'm feeling that I don't succeed. You know, it's <laughs> like uh, the experience is that I'm distancing, disengaging, not that you have distancing, disengaging, disengaging, not equanimity. Uh huh. So you know, you're, you're trying you're, to go to equanimity. Mm-hmm. The experience is disengagement. Mm-hmm. So sometimes we might need some distance because it's too close and we're getting too spun out. So I just want to acknowledge that that is, mm, can be a skillful response uh, if, if getting too close is stirring up. Particularly if you are doing it consciously because this is what I need right now. It's just a, one little tweak that I would encourage you because you can, you can say, you know, ah, I just can't handle it. I'm going to, you know, good luck, goodbye, cruel world, like that, and, just, and then feel lousy about yourself because, oh, I'm just not connected. Or you can do the very similar thing, but just out of wisdom or compassion. Ooh, I need to take a break from the news. Or I need to take a break and nurture myself because I'm going through a whole lot right now. And this, w- this is what I need. And this is a skillful thing to do. It's an interesting thing how it works that the very same act can have a wholesome motive that you don't have to get into the self-judgment, just seeing, oh, this is, this is compassion, this is wisdom right now, okay? Instead of, oh, I'm so pathetic because I, I, I can't take any more. Just, oh, I'm really being kind to myself, this is what I need. So, yeah, and how many people find that they need to take a little distance these days, every now and then? You see, you're not alone. You got practically the whole room raising their hands, yeah. <laughs> okay, thanks, Ricardo. Yes, and say it, tell, tell us your name again. I'm Carrie. Carrie. Um, a practice that I've been doing... A little closer. Yeah. A practice I've been doing this last month that I find tremendously helpful when I am feeling uncomfortable actually in the moment in a situation or I'm observing something or hearing something is stopping and, um, and opening my heart, going to the place where I can feel my heart open and then bring whatever it is, even if it's right in front of me, that's uncomfortable into my heart mm. and, then send, um, and then send that same feeling outward no matter what it is, hmm. as a starting place, not for an answer, mm-hmm. but um, that it's a way of remembering that I'm one with everything. Mm. Wow. How is and that? It's really helping mm-hmm. amazingly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How, how, that's a powerful practice. Whatever it is that you're going through and that you might want to keep distance from, just bringing it right into your heart. That's right. Or I'm uncomfortable. I'm uncomfortable with suddenly with some people here in front of me or whatever, or I, I can bring them into my heart. Mm. If I hear something on the news, 
mm-hmm. or hear get really angry at someone, I can stop and I can bring them into my heart. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that there isn't a place for uh, some sort of reaction or, you know, mm-hmm. or uh, some sort of a reaction or action, mm-hmm. but it means that I can start by remembering that we're one and then I can have my mm. think about what action I want to take mm-hmm. from there. That's that's very powerful practice, and it's um, it goes against the grain of what we would want to do, and it's it's kind of like the opposite skillful means of what Ricardo said. Sometimes I need space. If you if you do it, and you have the courage to do it, and the intention to do it. And the taking it on as a practice, that, that's, that's the, one, the one piece that uh, we can, I, I always find interesting with our minds and our hearts. If you say, okay, I'm going to experiment with this. I'm going to just have a, um, um, a, a, a challenge to myself, a, a, a healthy, warm challenge to bring it in then it almost doesn't matter what's happening out there. It's like, okay, this is my heart practice right now. And if you have the courage and you don't feel overwhelmed, sometimes it might be a bit too much. But if you're able to do that, it's like Tonglen, like the, the, uh, the, the, the uh, beautiful uh, Vajrayana practice of Tonglen where you breathe in all the suffering and transform it through your compassionate, wise heart into compassion. And there's a, like a, a magical alchemical transformation. If we're willing to take it in, there's, some, there's a purity of heart that it touches that is indestructible, that can transform just through your intention. So that's, that's very wonderful practice. Um, yeah. So, thank you. See, there's a lot of wisdom. I didn't even have to give a talk. It's just, uh, it's right here. And what I'm, I'm just the somebody who gets to uh, be the mouthpiece tonight, uh, and uh, and we can all be sharing. And but the wisdom is in all of us collectively. So um, I'll just be naming some things that. Uh, probably aren't new to you, but um, just hanging out with this topic is um, not only a good reminder, but just we're inclining the mind towards balance, centeredness, uh, willingness to open up to life. And it's in that inclining the mind and the heart that we see we have capacities we didn't always know was in there. So the last time, just as a a little bit of a a recap to start, uh, where I was talking about finding balance in these difficult times, um, uh, equanimity, this finding our center in the midst of challenges and, and, and difficulties um, a few elements that I uh, find helpful to keep in mind. One is, as we're just talking with, with Kerry, 
a, a quality of courage that's willing to open up and feel what's in here. Because if we're resisting it or we're um, uh, acting in denial, not a skillful distance, but, but a, a, a kind of not willing to feel what we're feeling in here while it's here, then we're closing our heart to our experience and in that very protection, we lose connection with that um, heart as wide as the world, as sometimes it's said, with that capacity to feel and acknowledge what's, what's going on in here. And that's the first step. We need to somehow be honest with ourselves, saying, wow, this really hurts, or this is really scary, or I am just completely overwhelmed with wanting and obsession. And it's humbling to see it, but when you can see it and you say, okay, this is what's going on with me, then in some, to some degree, you are not taking ownership of the experience. You're not saying, I'm a bad person for having this, but rather... This is what is coming up for me, and there's an awareness that can hold it. So it takes courage to actually feel what you're feeling. And as I said last time, a little at a time, manageable doses, what I, uh, what I like to call titrating our dukkha, just a, just, a, just a little at a time so it's not overwhelming. <clears throat> and then... Uh, what I had mentioned last time, that um, sometimes as you feel what you're feeling, the fear of projecting, oh, this, this might happen, um, that's, that's what really gets us going, where we don't want to take a look at what might happen. And uh, I find it mm, powerful to have the bottom line possibility of opening up to the worst. As I, I love that line by Charlotte Bronte that I, that I quoted last time. To, to see and know the worst is to take from fear her main advantage. That if you're seeing, okay, this could happen, could I live? Could I survive? It would be really hard, but mm, I guess maybe life would go on somehow. And then we're not warding off that, um, that movement uh, through denial. Not that you want to dwell on it. That's going a bit too much. Yeah. Oh, this really could happen. <laughs> oh, it really could happen. You know, and you're, that's, that's too much where you're living your life in the future. That's back to fear. But if you say, okay, if this happened, could I survive somehow? Or how could I make it through? Just to touch it a little bit um, so that you're not spending time warding off the worst. That's why, as I said, I think last time, uh, the Buddha's five reflections that he says every day 
to remember you're going to become old, you're going to get sick, you're going to die. Everything and everyone near and dear to you, you'll be separated from. And you are the heir of your actions. Your karma comes from your actions. He said, take a look at this. Just name the truth. Okay, so that's it. And now can I live my life now? The, the third is um, that I find helpful is to, having seen the possibilities, let go of knowing. Let go of thinking you know how it's going to turn out. Because you don't know. There's no way that you know. And when you give up being so smart and saying, I know where this is heading, you know, doomsday, uh, then you stop frightening yourself and you let go and open to don't know mind. I've mentioned here before the, the wonderful teacher, Sung San, uh, who the Korean master, um, the, uh, the empty gate Zen center in Berkeley is uh, is a, that uh, Jeff Kitsis is the the master. Uh, uh, Sun Sun, he's a disciple of Sun Sung, and Sun Sung would say uh, one of his main practices is don't know mind. You know, what's going to happen? Don't know. He had his. Korean accent, you know. What's the meaning of life? Don't know. Yeah. Why is this happening? Don't know. And he says, just keep that don't know mind. Let go of knowing and you can come into the, the moment fresh. So to let go of, of knowing how you think it's going to be, and that brings you back here. And then, particularly these days, having found some kind of center as you let go of knowing, uh, particularly if it's difficult um, situation, either personally or societally, uh, there's um, how to respond wisely, wise engagement coming from that centered place, <clears throat> which we need more than ever, wise engagement <clears throat> equanimity, as uh, we, we talked about, uh, one central uh, underlying principle is seeing karma unfolding. The Buddha, remember, he said, try not to think about karma or figure out why something is happening. One of the four imponderables that will drive you crazy if you try to figure out too much. <clears throat> Why is this happening? What did I do to deserve this? You ever have that thought pass your mind? What did I do to deserve this? Don't go there. Don't go there. The Buddha, when he was enlightened, he saw his previous 100,000 incarnations and some of them weren't so pretty. You know. But there he was, fully enlightened in that moment. 
it's all an unfolding of karma. And as uh, Julia Butterfly Hill says, one of my inspirations, she says, as long as you're learning, there's no mistakes. There's nothing wasted. And everything is part of your curriculum to wake up in this life. Mm. And what equanimity understands is that there is a, a bigger picture than any one particular slice of time where the mind says, why is this happening? If you look at any one slice in time, this day or this week or this year or this election cycle or this whatever it is, that there's a much bigger unfolding here. And what equanimity understands is that bigger, spacious unfolding that's not usually available from our mm, close-in questioning why. Mm. By the way, something I've mentioned here before, but I want to um, underscore particularly if you tend to look at what's happened in your circumstances and say and and blame yourself you know why is this why has this happened that there are not not everything is attributable to karma in Buddhist um, philosophy or teachings there are accidents that happen. That's there's five different sources of why things happen, and accidents is one of them. So maybe keeping that in mind for uh, the fire that just uh, that just occurred here, so painful, so so sad. Um, there's um, some of them. Oh yeah, germs and seeds. That there's a natural unfolding you plant an apple seed and you get an apple tree and not a a mango that there's a certain lawful unfolding that comes in that way Um, weather also is not necessarily attributable to karma when there's uh, disasters that this is this happens so you can't say oh why did this happen to you know this tsunami or this whatever disaster? <clears throat> Be careful of the word "why." It's a very dangerous word, uh, unless it moves you to just be curious and say, "Oh, let's check it out," without trying to grasp for the answer. Mm. But the power, one power of equanimity is giving up that knowing and seeing it's true that anything can happen at any time. I was talking with, with a friend today who was sharing uh, that uh, a friend of hers uh, a, a, a vital, strong man in his 40s, father of three, um, liked to hang glide and do all kinds of 
of physical uh, activities and you know just in the in the prime of his life going uh, across the street in San Francisco last week and a car came careening down and he's gone just like that we know anything can happen at any time just like the Buddha said think about this you don't know the, the one side of it is you don't know, so don't spend your time worrying about it. The other side is you don't know, so appreciate this moment for what you've got. And as we were talking, it's, some, some people uh, can easily fret and worry. I come from a lineage of worriers, as I've said here before, my mother said, uh, her, her, one of her main lines was, uh, if I can't think of anything to worry about, that's when I really get worried. Right? Yeah. It, was, it was like she, you, know, you weren't putting in your time unless you worried. But since anything can happen at any time, and you don't know, there's no way you can know, why spend these precious moments thinking about what might happen? I mean, when you think about it, it it's not the best use of your time, but it's so compelling because when fear grips the heart, we're on the lookout and somehow my, you know, my mother used to, as she said, you, she wasn't putting in her time if she wasn't worrying. Uh, but um, she spent a lot of, an awful lot of time worrying. And she finally got it the last few years of her life as she went through a number of different transformations. And by, by the time she got to her 90s, it was like, Hey, it's all gravy from here on, and I, I, I better kind of enjoy this instead of being afraid that someday I might die or the worst will happen. Yeah, yeah. And she was really ready to go by the time she went in '94. But um, but that's the power. One power of equanimity is letting go of fretting about the future that you have no control of over. And there's a kind of strength that comes from that and a kind of um, compelling quality to make the most of this life. Don't miss this moment. There's as Pema Chodron says, there's no time to lose. That's a great expression. No time, no time to lose on worrying about what might or might not happen. Mm. And when you have that, that freedom from worry... Of course, it's not realistic to think that you'll never worry. We can you read the news and say, ay, 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 what's going to happen? But then whoosh, you don't know what's going to happen. Um, but when you have that 
letting go of knowing, it gives you more courage to respond right now in this moment. Instead of playing it safe, uh, you know, it's, it's good to stop on the red, go on the green, know the rules of the game, but not to play it so safe that you don't live your life fully and you don't stretch yourself and you don't enter into the challenging situations where you're moved to want to make a difference. And you do what you do not out of fear, but because it just feels right. There's that that alignment with the truth. Uh, I spoke about it, I think, a few weeks ago, that uh, the truth force that, that Gandhi spoke about. Such, such a graha, where there's an alignment with the truth that's not lost in what might happen, that just says, this is what I need to do because it's right. And when we can act from that place of centeredness and alignment with the truth, not only does it feel right for us, but it's so compelling for others. We inspire others by our the courage that comes from that alignment and that centeredness. Mm. This is... Uh, from Carrie Nelson's book, One Small Difference. I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago and that just came out. It's a, it's a really fine book. Um, One Small Difference, Step Into Action for a Better World. Um, and this answers the question, I want to do something, but I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do next. How many people have had that question come to their mind. Yeah, yeah. This is a good book for you. And she, in there, talks about, among many stories, she talks about um, Mary Pfeiffer writing in this wonderful book, The Green Boat. Um, Mary Pfeiffer lived, uh, she lives in Nebraska, and she came to the uh, she came out to Spirit Rock and actually and did a retreat with Joanna Macy. She did, she's done a lot of retreats with Joanna Macy. And uh, she went back to Nebraska and saying, um, what can I do about this Keystone pipeline that was going through Nebraska? Nebraska's an interesting state these days. And the only thing that she could think of was to start um, speaking to people who not only were like her, but were different from her. And they had this whole grassroots movement that started. And she writes about this in The Green Boat, a beautiful book. She says, um, The unlikely coalition that formed between farmers, landowners, school teachers, Republicans, Democrats, cowboys, and Indians in opposition to the Keystone Pipeline in Nebraska 
building from small groups getting together in kitchens and community halls, this alliance of David's tripped up the Goliath of big oil and dirty politics that dominates the Nebraska legislature and actually helped halt the passage of the dirtiest oil in the world through their state. And how did they do it? They talked to each other about their concerns for their land, their wildlife, and the future of their children and grandchildren. They built popular support. And as Mary Pfeiffer says in the, great, in the Green Boat, they didn't give up. This is Mary saying, At our group, As our group learned to discuss weighty matters with each other and still be calm and, hope, and hopeful, we developed ideas for how to approach other people. In fact, our most common topic was communication. We quickly realized that what we knew was only useful if we could say it in ways that encouraged other people to listen and act. Again, to say it from a place of centeredness, not you're bad and I'm good, like that. We mostly talked about what we were for not what we were against. With almost everyone, we could find common ground and stay there. Who doesn't like clean water, green pastures, and healthy animals? And from that grassroots campaign, um, they were able to um, overturn a governor's um, decision that it would go through because there was enough popular support. And we're seeing this this week. How could you not be inspired? Just the, the courage of, of the water protectors and the, at the Dakota Access Pipeline that just were ready to be there through the winter, through anything, because they were standing in their truth so compelling in their centeredness that they magnetized 2,000 vets saying, I want to be there with you. Wasn't that beautiful? That's, that's the power of standing in your truth, that it inspires others And there they were, just all willing to hold hands and saying, no, we're not going to do this. And we'll just be here for whatever it takes. And through their own courage and centeredness and conviction and standing in truth, things changed. Things changed. That beautiful quote, I'm sure uh, most of you know the Margaret Mead quote. Never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed citizens can change the world. Indeed, it is the only thing that ever has. It's that small group of committed people that just are living in truth.
One of the other sources that I want to share with you, and then we can have a conversation, um, comes from Joanna Macy and uh, Chris Johnstone's uh, beautiful book, Active Hope. This is an excellent, excellent book where she, there's this spiral of, um, of engagement that uh, starts out with gratitude for where you are and all the blessings that you've been given, honoring the pain you might be feeling as you see the, uh, the, the, the suffering of whatever the cause is that's moving you, that's breaking your heart, seeing with new eyes possibilities and then going forth. That's the, the formula for active hope. And this is how she defines active hope. Knowing what we hope for and what we'd like or love to take place, with this hope, we can make a difference. Active hope is about becoming active participants in bringing about what we hope for. It's something we do rather than have. It's a process we can apply to any situation, and it involves three key steps. First, we take a clear view of reality. Second, we identify what we hope for in terms of the direction we'd like things to move in or the values we'd like to see expressed. And third, we take steps to move ourselves or our situation in that direction. Without a timetable, without uh, a pass-fail test, did I do it, did I succeed or not, you just do it because it feels like it's the right thing to do. Mm. And she shares in here something I want to share, a a fantastic um, prophecy that I thought I'd share in these times to help give us some balance and inspiration and fine centeredness in difficult times. And this is the Shambhala warrior prophecy that um, is um, 12 centuries old. Okay, so this is 1,200 years old from the Tibetan tradition. And this is uh, the, the prophecy as told to her by uh, one of her teachers, Chogo Rinpoche, uh, who lives in, uh, in Tashijang in northwest India. And this is what the prophecy is, as he said. There comes a time when all life on earth is in danger. At that time, great powers have arisen, barbarian powers, and although they waste their wealth in preparations to annihilate one another, they have much in common. Among the things they have in common are weapons of unfathomable unfathomable destructive power and technologies that lay waste to the world. It is just at this point in our history when the future of all beings seems to hang by the frailest of threads that the kingdom of Shambhala emerges. You can't go there because it's not a place. It exists in the hearts and the minds of the Shambhala warriors. 
You can't tell whether someone is a Shambhala warrior just by looking at him or her because these warriors wear no uniforms or insignia. They have no banners to identify whose side they're on, no barricades on which to climb to threaten the enemy or behind which to rest and regroup. They don't even have any home turf. The Shambhala warriors only have the terrain of the barbarian powers to move across and act on. Now the time is coming when great now the time is coming when great courage is required of the Shambhala warriors, moral and physical courage. That is because they are going right into the heart of the barbarian powers to dismantle their weapons. They are going into the pits and citadels where the weapons are made and deployed. They are going into the corridors of power where the decisions are made. In this way, they work to dismantle the weapons in every sense of the word. The Shambhala warriors know these weapons can be dismantled because they are mind-made, manomaya. They are made by the human mind and thus can be unmade by the human mind. The dangers facing us are not brought on us by some satanic deity or some evil extraterrestrial force or by some unchangeable preordained fate. Rather, these dangers arise out of our relationships and habits, out of our priorities. So, says Chogol Rinpoche, now is the time for the Shambhala warriors to go into training. How do they train? Joanna asks. They train in the use of two implements, actually weapons. What are they? And he held up his hands the way the dancers hold up a ritual object in the great Lama dances of his people. One is compassion. The other is insight into the radical interdependence of all phenomena. You need both. You need compassion because it provides the fuel to move you out to where you need to be and to do what you need to do. It means not being afraid of the suffering of your world. And when you're not afraid of the world's pain, then nothing can stop you. Equanimity. But by itself, that implement is very hot. It can burn you out. So you need the other tool, the insight into the radical interconnectivity of all that is. When you have that, then you know that this is not a battle between the good guys and the bad guys. You know that the line between good and evil runs through the landscape of every human heart. And you know that we are so interwoven into the web of life that even our smallest acts have repercussions that ripple through the whole web beyond our capacity to see. But that is the kind of cool, even a little abstract energy. So you also need the heat of compassion. This is the gist of the prophecy from 1,200 years ago. 
So here we are, Shambhala warriors, I hope. All of us. This is the, the amazing thing that here we are. The only thing that's going to make a difference in this world is consciousness, really. Because all the suffering that we're so afraid of, or most of it, is human-made, mind-made. And so all the possibilities to alleviate that suffering are also mind or heart-made. So here we are. One of many groups of Shambhala warriors that are just bringing more consciousness into the world. By the power of our centeredness and alignment with truth and our compassion and our seeing the emptiness of it all and the interconnectivity of it all, no separation. This is the the tremendous gift of the Dharma that we can bring into these difficult times on a societal level and also on a personal level. It's, it's getting in touch with that courage that's right inside of you when you know that you're living in truth and you see through that sense of separation. <clears throat> and there's a power that comes from that, that's very, as I said, very magnetizing, just like the Dakota Access uh, Pipeline showed. It's compelling. It's, it says, I want to be part of that too. I want to make a difference too. Equanimity is really worth cultivating for yourself and for everybody in this world. So, maybe I'll just stop here and um, maybe before we open up another conversation, just uh, invite you to go inside and notice the places that you get a little shaky, either fearful about what might happen within your own life or within the bigger picture. And let go of knowing, but just sense what it's like to have the courage to stand in your truth. And let yourself be an instrument of that truth. feeling the power of the centeredness and the caring, the compassion and the wisdom. So the mind doesn't get in the way and make stories, but the heart finds a center in the middle of it all.
And just get a sense of how life can use you as a Shambhala warrior in your own unique way. Doesn't mean saving the world all by yourself, but just doing your part out of connection with what moves you, inspires you. Seeing yourself as a Shambhala warrior. Feel the power in that. Celebrate it for a moment. You have power to make a difference. And you can join with others what Mandela, Nelson Mandela called the multiplicity of courage. Okay, so um, we have a few minutes if there's any comments or questions. Anything that might have come up from that? Okay, going once, going twice. Okay, so no pressure now, but we all can make a difference. Starting with our own inner world. So let's, um, let's close with a loving kindness and want to dedicate the metta. Um, and to all the young artists and musicians who lost their lives in the Oakland fire and their families. Equanimity says, okay, this too, this is part of life. Just breathing it in, letting it move through. May all find peace and healing. And may we continue also to see all the goodness in life as well as the, the sorrow. <clears throat> so may we find a place of centeredness and balance and equanimity within us and help awaken that in those around us. And may our coming here together ripple out and be a benefit to all beings everywhere.
May all beings find the courage and the wisdom and the compassion to make a difference in this world, inspire each other. May all know the highest happiness and peace. Thank you for your attention. Have a good couple of weeks. See you in a few weeks. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.